The following is a presentation of Broadway Church in Vancouver, British Columbia. For additional media, visit broadwaychurch.com. Well, good morning, Broadway Church. Welcome to our second morning service of the day. And I want to congratulate you for being here because there's lots of reasons for you to not be here today, as you know. First of all, it's the daylight savings time kind of thing where we set our clocks ahead. So if you're here and you're thinking, Why is the music so loud and why is there smoke and haze and lights moving around at the 9 a.m. service? You're not at the 9 a.m. service. Just a heads up. This is our 1030 contemporary service. And there's a second reason why people often don't make it out to church today, especially today, because of this coronavirus that's spreading around. And we actually have officials telling us on the news yesterday, don't go to church. If you can avoid going to church, please don't go to church. Avoid large crowds. So I didn't know what to expect this morning, but thank you. You are here. God bless you. You are the spiritual in our midst, the truly godly people. Look around you and think, yes, we are the best people. Yes, well done. Clap for yourselves. But if you clap for yourselves, then you're not as humble, so you kind of ruin it. See? Now, When I was a kid, I would have loved a day like today because a day like today meant we, as a family, wouldn't go to church. And you need to know, as a child, I hated going to church. I dreaded going to church. As children, we would stay quiet on a Sunday morning until it was too late to go to church. Then we would be louder and wake our parents up. But in a day like today, if I was a kid, I'd be saying, Mom, Dad, listen, you work hard. Sleep in that extra hour. Mom, Dad, listen, they're telling people that that they shouldn't go to large crowds. I'm concerned about your health, Mom and Dad. Let's stay home today. I would have loved this because when it came to me in my mind as a young person, I dreaded going to church because it bored me out of my skull. It's it's really quite sad, isn't it? Now, be, be kind to me there, buddy. It's really quite sad, isn't it? A church gathering is supposed to be one place where you can go to connect with and interact with the dynamic, living, ever-present creator and sustainer of the universe. Yet over the years, church became synonymous with boredom and irrelevance in my mind. How did that happen? Sadly, it happens in marriages, it happens in families, it happens in jobs, and it happens in all kinds of areas of life. Things begin with anticipation and enthusiasm, and then the dust of familiarity settles in, covers over, and clouds our reality. But it doesn't have to be this way, folks, especially when you understand the reality behind biblical Christianity. And that reality is this. Following Jesus is not about dead rituals. Following Jesus is about a living relationship. Following Jesus is not about dead rituals. It's about a living relationship. It's about a living relationship between you and the living God. Following Jesus is about you having access to the presence and the power of God. Having access to the God who is all-knowing, all-powerful, and everywhere present. You're sitting there and you say, now Darren, when you say access, what do you mean? Do we honestly mean that we can communicate with God? Yes, we do mean that. We mean that we can talk to God and God can talk to us. Well, how does that happen? Well, that's what this series is all about. We're calling it God Talk. 
It's all about how we can communicate with God. It's about how we are to raise our voice and to hear God's voice. Last week, we learned how to read the Bible. Today, we're going to do our best to learn how to pray, in the sense of meaning how to talk to God. Joe was an avid bird lover. He discovered that an owl had made a nest in a tree in the fence in Joe's backyard. So one evening, Joe stood on his back porch in the dark, and he gently hooted like an owl towards this tree. Hoot, hoot. And to Joe's surprise, the owl hooted back. Hoot, hoot. So Joe went, hoot, hoot. And he heard from his backyard, hoot, hoot. Well, Joe was mesmerized. He was thrilled by this. He was shocked. For over a year then, Joe and his feathered friend hooted back and forth at each other each evening. Joe even kept a journal, marking down the dates and times of their ongoing conversation. Just as Joe was believing that he was on the verge of a breakthrough between interspecies communication, his wife happened to be chatting over the back fence with their neighbor. And Joe's wife said, my husband spends his evenings standing in the dark on our back porch, talking, hooting to owls. And the neighbor's wife said, well, that's strange. My husband does the exact same thing. When you get right down to it, is that what prayer is? Is prayer about as useless and futile as hooting at a distant owl? Or is prayer something more? Is it actually possible to communicate with God? I'm here today to tell you that it is possible to communicate with God. In fact, that is exactly what following Jesus is all about. How would your life change if you knew that you could confidently talk to and hear from the creator of the universe? How would that change your life? Now, I'm sure that someone is out there right now and you're thinking to yourself, okay, Darren, this sounds a little crazy to me. This sounds like crazy talk. One of the authors of the Bible anticipated your reaction. His name was Paul. He was an early leader in the church. And he wrote this in a letter that he penned to a church in the ancient city of Corinth some 2,000 years ago. I'll be reading, actually, from the New Living Translation, the Living Translation of the Bible. It'll be on your side screens. I think I put it on your outlines today. Paul wrote this. He said, The person who isn't a Christian can't understand and accept these thoughts from God, which the Holy Spirit teaches us. They sound foolish to him. Because only those who have the Holy Spirit within them can understand what the Holy Spirit means. Others just can't take it in. It is possible to communicate with God. And the very concept will sound foolish to those who don't have a living relationship with God. Try this thought experiment with me. Imagine that you are taken back in a time machine to the year, let's say, 1700, 300 years ago. Life is relatively primitive by today's standards. Electricity won't be discovered for another 50 years. But this time machine has dropped you around a campfire amongst a bunch of early settlers along the east coast of North America. 
Now, you suddenly have appeared, and these people, they're startled, and they get up, and they're staring at you. They circle around you, and they notice as they stare at you that you've got a cell phone in your hand, and you've got earbuds in your ears. And so they, after they've gotten over the shock, they point at these things, and they say, what are, the, what are these things? And you say, oh, th this is called a phone. It enables me to talk to anyone anywhere in the world. In fact, just before I was transported here, I was on the east coast of North America as well, 300 years into the future, and I was talking to a friend of mine in China. And the people look at you and they laugh, and a couple of them wave their hand and say, ignore this man, he's a fool, and they walk away. Determined to prove that you aren't a fool, you try explaining to them all the more. And you tell them, no, 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 really, I'm not a fool. This is how it works. You see, my voice goes into something called an antenna, which is embedded in this earpiece. It's some wires and mechanisms, and they circle around, and my voice is turned into electrical impulses in this earpiece. And then using these wires and mechanism, that earpiece converts my voice into a frequency, an electrical signal, which then through the air, electromagnetic waves, then transfers to the antenna in my phone. And then my phone then transmits through the air invisibly these electromagnetic impulses to an antenna on a tower, a cell tower, we call them, uh, in the distance. Now, they're called cell towers because they all have antennas on them, and they're like cells in a body. They all communicate with each other. So those electrical magnetic impulses go from cell to cell, antenna, antenna, cell to cell, until it gets to the edge of the continent, and then it goes underwater. This is fascinating, people. It goes underwater on these special cables made out of special glass, and it travels thousands of miles to the other side of the world on the side of the ocean and where once again it's transmitted to a cell tower and then electromagnetic invisible waves go from tower to tower antenna antenna until it reaches the antenna in my friend's cell phone in China and then it's turned into electrical impulses into his ear and then he actually hears my voice and that all happens at the speed of light. And they don't clap. They look at you and they say, you really are a fool. And they walk away. Now listen, what you said to them about how you were communicating was all true. They simply had a difficult time grasping it. And I would put to you that the same dynamic is often at play when it comes to the concept of prayer. The person who isn't a Christian can't understand and can't accept these thoughts from God, which the Holy Spirit teaches us. They sound foolish to him, because only those who have the Holy Spirit within them can understand what the Holy Spirit means. Others just can't take it in. So if the Bible is to be believed, ongoing communication with God is possible, as long as you fulfill one biblical requirement. Well, what's that requirement? It's found right there in the passage that we just read. The person who isn't a Christian can't understand. In order to have an ongoing back and forth relationship with God, you have to be a Christian. You have to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Well, why? What is it about being a Christ follower that uniquely positions someone to be able to communicate with God on an ongoing basis? Are Christ followers morally superior to others? No. Not at all. Nowhere in the Bible is that taught. 
Christ followers are not morally superior to the world around them. In fact, one of the marks of being a true follower of Jesus is you admit your failures and acknowledge your sin. Okay, then, well, is it because Christ followers give money to the church? Is that why? Is that what positions them to uniquely hear from God and talk to God? Does God communicate with them because they've paid for his attention? No, that's not it either. Communicating with God is not like some old-fashioned payphone where the more coins you drop into the phone, the more time you have to talk. It's not like that. So what is it then about being a follower of Jesus that uniquely positions them to be able to communicate with God in an ongoing basis? Look more closely at the passage on the side screens or on your outline. The answer is right there in front of us. Only those who have the Holy Spirit within them can understand. Why is it that only a follower of Jesus can have an ongoing communication with God? It's because what happens to you and what happens within you when you decide to become a follower of Jesus. Something supernatural takes place in your life when you decide to follow Jesus. Jesus put it this way. In John chapter 14, This is when Jesus was still walking the earth. He said this. He said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. I'm talking about the spirit of truth. The world can't accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. He was speaking to his followers. You know him, for he lives with you, and he will be in you. Following Jesus is a spirit-to-spirit relationship. Following Jesus is a spirit-to-spirit relationship. Now, you need to know that both of those concepts are key. Spirit-to-spirit and relationship. Both of those concepts are crucial. When you become a follower of Jesus, Jesus pays your moral debt. So he removes the obstacle that we have uh, from communicating with God. Our sin was a barrier. Jesus removes that barrier of sin through his death and resurrection. And then he makes it possible for us to once again communicate with God. And so the Holy Spirit of God comes and dwells within our lives so that we now have a spirit-to-spirit relationship. His spirit dwells within and with our spirit. So it only stands to reason that prayer is an exercise in spirit-to-spirit communication. If following Jesus is a spirit-to-spirit relationship, it only stands to reason that prayer is a spirit-to-spirit communication. Right now, you and I are having a face-to-face communication. When you're talking on the phone, it could be said that you're having a person-to-person communication. Prayer is an exercise in spirit-to-spirit communication. Just like a sermon or a phone call is people talking to people, prayer is people talking to God. The only difference is the realm in which that talking is taking place. The realm of prayer is not the realm of sound waves like a sermon or electromagnetic waves like a cell conversation. The realm of prayer is the realm of the Spirit. Your Spirit is communicating with God's Spirit who is living within you if you're a follower of Jesus. You say, okay, Darren, so how does this work? How does a person have a spirit-to-spirit communication with God? Is there a right way to do it? Is there a wrong way to do it? Yes, absolutely. 
In fact, Jesus himself answered that question when he gave his disciples some instructions on prayer. Matthew recorded what Jesus taught, starting at verse 5 of the sixth chapter in Matthew's gospel. Matthew wrote this. He recorded what Jesus said. Jesus said, talking to his followers, now when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogue, meaning like standing on the platform in a church. They love to pray there on the street corners as well to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full, meaning they shouldn't expect to get a reward in heaven. They've already got the reward. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret, then he'll reward you. Oh, and when you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans. They think that they'll be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them. Your Father knows what you need before you even ask him. I see in this passage a basic prayer principle from Jesus, and that principle is this. Prayer is an exercise in humility. Prayer is an exercise in humility. Prayer is not about showing off to others with fancy speeches and flowery words. I remember when I was a little kid, I was about grade four, and uh, I was in this speaking competition, a citywide speech competition. And my teacher helped me to craft every phrase and choose every word so that my presentation would be as pleasing to the judges as possible. Jesus is saying prayer is not like that at all. Prayer isn't a test of your speaking skills with God as the judge. Prayer is pouring out your heart to God with whatever words come to your mind. Prayer isn't about how well you speak, and according to Jesus, neither is prayer about being seen by others. Prayer at its core is a personal and private matter. Now, now don't misunderstand. Jesus is not saying that it's wrong to pray in public. Jesus did it himself on many occasions. Jesus is saying that public prayer, for the sake of public prayer, that should be the exception, not the rule, because prayer is an exercise in humility. And Jesus then went further, and he gave the people an example of the content that a Jesus-endorsed prayer should contain. Look what he said next. He said, this then is how you should pray. Now, I want to pause here for a quick second. I want you to notice something. Jesus did not say, this is what you should pray. He isn't giving us a memorized script to recite. He's giving us a recommended pattern to follow. It's a pattern that's come to be known over the centuries as the Lord's Prayer. I'm sure many of us are familiar with it. He said, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed or revered, respected, be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Here on earth, just like it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, our daily needs. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us, not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So basically, when you sum up the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is telling us this. Prayer acknowledges God's authority while seeking to access God's power. When you sum it all up, prayer acknowledges God's authority while seeking to access God's power. Now, however you do that, whatever words you choose, that's up to you. 
Just know that a Jesus-endorsed prayer acknowledges God's authority, meaning you're acknowledging God's right to do whatever he feels best while you're seeking to access his power. So a biblical Jesus-endorsed prayer says, God, I'm asking you to do this. I'm asking you to do that. But in the end, I declare ultimately, I trust whatever you decide to do. I trust you no matter what happens. Prayer acknowledges God's authority while seeking to access God's power. Now, some of you are out there, and you probably think like I do, and you're wondering a couple things from what we've just said for the last 10 minutes or so. For example, back in verse 8, Jesus said something that got some of you thinking. Jesus said, your father knows what you need before you even ask him. Well, for the longest time, I would read that, and I'd think to myself, well, if he knows what I need before I ask him, why do I need to ask him? What's the point? The answer to that question reveals perhaps one of the most important and powerful aspects of prayer. If God's all-knowing, and if God's all-powerful, and if God can do whatever he wants to do, and if God knows everything that he needs to know in order to get things done, what's the point of prayer? What are we accomplishing by praying? What's our role then? Let me do my best to answer that question with an illustration from the world of baseball. In the past, I've likened how God answers prayer to the strike zone in baseball. Of course, now in baseball, if you're not familiar with the strike zone, it's this zone, and it's an invisible zone that the umpire looks for, roughly from the chest to the knees of a batter. And so as the batter's crouched there in the batting position, and the umpire's behind home plate, and the umpire's looking through this invisible zone, and the pitcher's trying to pitch the ball through this invisible zone that's called the strike zone. It's as wide as the home plate, chest to knees of the batter. And if a pitcher throws a pitch through that strike zone, it's a strike. It's a good pitch. If the pitcher throws the ball and it goes outside of that strike zone, it's not a strike. It's not a good pitch. That's the strike zone, the sweet spot for a, a pitcher to throw and for a batter to hit. Did you know that there's a strike zone for prayer? It's true. There is a zone through which God is watching for prayers to pass. So what is this zone when it comes to prayer? Let me put it this way. First of all, there are things that God will not do no matter how much we ask. There are things God won't do. You can ask and ask and ask, and he just won't say yes to them. God, please, my neighbor's dog is barking all the time. Kill my neighbor. You can ask that all you want. God's not going to answer that prayer. I'm beginning to think that my prayer that the Toronto Maple Leafs will win the Stanley Cup is one of these prayers as well. God's just going to say, no, sorry, Darren, it's not going to happen. A prayer like, God, kill your neighbor, is not in the strike zone of prayer. God's not going to swing and hit a prayer like that, no matter how hard I pray. Now, admittedly, all prayers in this non-strike zone aren't as obvious as, God, please kill my neighbor. Sometimes prayers in this non-strike zone sound like, God, please heal my neighbor. It may be that no matter how often I pray that prayer, God will not respond with a yes to that request. Why? I mean, please heal my neighbor sounds like a perfectly reasonable request. Why would God say no? No. 
Hold on to that thought. We'll get to it in a moment. I promise. Okay, then. There are things that God will not do no matter how much we ask. Secondly, there are things that God will do whether or not I ask. There are things he's going to do, and I don't even have to ask. He'll do them whether I ask or not. Oh, God, please, when I go to sleep, may the earth continue to revolve around the sun. Yeah, you don't need to ask that. God says, I I got that one covered. You can count on that. Oh, God, please, when I wake up, may gravity still apply to my body. Yeah, don't worry. I got that covered. You don't need to pray prayers like that. Those are not in the strike zone for prayer. They're not the kind of prayers God's looking for us to pray. Not the kind of prayers that God's waiting to answer. Okay. So there are things that God will not do, no matter how much I ask. There are things God will do, whether or not I ask. Those, neither of those are in the strike zone for prayer, which brings us to the third and final option. There are things that God will only do, he'll do only if we ask. There are things that God will do only if we ask him to do them. This is the strike zone for prayer. This is the sweet spot for prayer. This is the zone where God is watching and listening and waiting to act. Listen to how God declared to the prophet Ezekiel regarding the, what God declared to Ezekiel regarding the this condition of the city of Jerusalem centuries ago. It ties into this strike zone concept. Stay with me. See, in these days, centuries ago, uh, the, the safety of a city was determined by the, the presence and strength of the city's walls. The stronger, the thicker, the higher the walls, the more powerful, the more secure that city was. Well, with that imagery, God spoke to the, to the prophet Ezekiel about the state of the nation of Israel. In Ezekiel 22:30, God said, Ezekiel, I looked for someone among them, among the people of Israel, who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I wouldn't have to destroy it, and I found no one. God's saying, Ezekiel, listen. Israel, the nation, the people, my people are in great sin, great rebellion against me. And I'm going to have to come and judge them, and I don't want to. I've been looking and waiting for someone to intercede on behalf of the land, someone to intercede on behalf of the people, to say, God, please, we repent, help us. He says, no one has prayed that prayer. I've been looking, no one will pray it, so I'm going to have to judge the nation. In this declaration, we find a pattern for the dynamic between us and God when it comes to prayer. What God was saying to them centuries ago still applies to us today. You are an intelligent creature with a free will. You you are made in God's image to, to have dominion over the earth, to rule with God, to rule on his behalf on the earth. God has given us a role. There are things that he will only do if we ask him. And he was saying to Ezekiel, I didn't want to judge the land, but no one asked me not to. I would have. The implication is, I was looking for someone, but nobody came forward to stand in the gap for the people. God has given you a role in history. There are things that he will only do if you ask him. Imagine coming to the end of your life and discovering all the things that could have happened if you had just asked God. There are things that God will do only if we ask him to do it. 
And that leads us to the one final question we'll deal with today when it comes to prayer. It's a question I put off a moment ago. Okay, so how does God decide which prayer to say yes to and which prayer to say no to? Truth be told, I think this is the single biggest reason why many people have stopped praying. Many people have given up on prayer because they didn't receive what they asked for in the past. Remember what we learned about prayer a moment ago? Prayer is acknowledging God's authority while seeking to access God's power. This situation I'm talking about now is where we need to acknowledge God's authority when it comes to prayer. This is where we need to trust God when it comes to prayer. Let me put it this way. Every parent knows this feeling. A child comes to you and they desperately want something. And that child knows that you have the ability and the resources to grant their request. To your child, it seems like a slam dunk. If you would just give them what they're asking for, their life would be fantastic. That's what they see, but that's not what you see. You see the bigger picture. You see what your child can't see. You see what their request actually would ultimately lead to. You see the danger. You see the complications. But that's their problem. They can't see what you see. Their problem is they can't see why it's better for them that you say no to their request. So they walk away disappointed in you. They walk away angry at you. They may even withhold their affection from you possibly for a very long time. When God says no to our request for access to his power and resources, that's when we need to acknowledge his authority and say, God, I trust you. In fact, maybe that's you. Maybe as you sit here today, you are stuck in your walk with God. You're angry at God. You're disappointed in him. You've given up on prayer because you didn't get what you asked for. And it could very well be that what you asked for seemed like a perfectly reasonable request, healing of a loved one, resources at a time of need. And for some reason that you just can't grasp, God said no. Or at the very least, not now. And you're angry and you're disappointed. And your souls become dead to him. Trust him. You are loved with the purest love imaginable. He knows you. He knows what's ultimately best for you and everyone involved in all the scenarios that, that would have been affected by your request. He sees the snowball, the domino effect that you would never see. Trust him. Let's conclude. Today we've learned some foundational truths when it comes to how to talk to God. We've learned that Walking with God is a spirit-to-spirit -spirit relationship, so that means prayer is a spirit-to-spirit -spirit dynamic and, and, and uh, communication. And we've learned some practical insights on how to experience and express this communication, which brings us to today's big idea, where we sum up the teaching, one simple phrase. Here it is. Talking to God is pouring out your heart and living out your role. Talking to God is pouring out your heart and it's living out your role. 
meaning. Talking to God is two dynamics going on at the same time. It's simply pouring out your heart, your feelings, your thoughts, your desires, your fears. You can talk to God with all that is within you. Pour it out to him. But it's also living out your role. You are making a request, not knowing what God will say yes to and what he'll say no to, but knowing that there are some things he will only do if we ask. We pour out our request and we pour out our heart and we live out our role by seeking to connect with God, seeking to work with him and trusting him ultimately in the end. Talking to God is pouring out your heart and living out your role. But hold on. That's just one half of the story when it comes to prayer. That's just one half of the conversation. Prayer is more than us talking to God. Prayer is also about God talking to us. Did you know that God still speaks today? Did you know that it's possible to not only talk to God, but also to hear from God? It's true. If you're a follower of Jesus, he's speaking to you all the time. You just may not know it. Next week, I'm going to conclude this series by learning how to recognize the voice of God in our lives. Today, we learned how to talk to God. Next week, we're going to learn how to hear from God. Let's bow our heads together, please, as we conclude.